0: good evening folks and welcome back on this saturday the sixth day of august 2022 i'm your host mark Hall, and let's spend the next hour or so talking about what is going on in a world where insanity would be an improvement And as is so often the case, since we can't possibly make sense of it, at least we can relate it, and probably the best way to do that again is chronologically. And as the week began, all eyes were focused on nutcase Nancy, the speaker for the traitors, who was headed somewhere, maybe Taiwan, and after all the threats and counter-threats, the world watched with bated breath to see whether or not she'd get shot down and World War III would begin on another front, this time before the week was out. We'll pick up the story with where things stood on Monday, as Pelosi was still en route to, at that point, nobody but the deep state knew where. In a widely reported conversation between the Puppet Meisters handlers and the Premier of China, she told whoever was listening that public opinion cannot be defied. Those who play with fire will perish by it, unquote, which certainly sounds like a threat, doesn't it? Said author, lawyer, and history professor Gordon Chang, in a piece published over the weekend, The reports swirling around what's now the most watched flight on planet Earth suggest that either Xi Jinping perceived the Biden Fuhrer to be so weak that he can push him around, which is pretty well obvious, or that China's internal problems are so severe that the ruling Communist Chinese Party must create an external crisis to distract the Chinese people. In the worst case, and this is probably the true case, folks, both are true. For at least a decade, it says, Chinese leaders have believed the United States to be in terminal decline, and they'd have to have been blind to have missed that. And the Biden Fuhrer, at least in their minds, has confirmed this view. Given his calamitous withdrawal from Afghanistan, what the author calls his failure to stop the Russian invasion of Ukraine, now come on, give me a break, they push him into that, have left Beijing thinking they can now do whatever they want to Taiwan. And at the same time, it's possible Xi's threats could be the result of regime insecurity. And he needs an external crisis so that the Chinese people won't think too much about the numerous and increasing internal ones. Inside China, there's still the Fauci flu problem. Xi's dynamic zero COVID policy is causing widespread resentment, not to mention undermining the already ailing economy which despite their Bureau of Line Statistics report of about 0.4% year-to-year growth in the second quarter is almost certainly in contraction. And, of course, the debt crisis, delayed for more than a decade, has been heading the country on all cylinders. Evergrande Group, other large property developers are defaulting like collapsing dominoes, and there's the problem of a growing nationwide mortgage boycott by non-paying banks, which has now spread to suppliers of those failing developers, with the result that financial institutions across the country are on cash. And there are, of course, bank runs. We've reported them here, especially in Hainan province. But banks in the financial capital of Shanghai are also in poor condition. And this should certainly come as no surprise to regular listeners. When communism runs into economic collapse, which history shows is ultimately inevitable, solution number one is always a war. Xi's leading a nationwide mobilization effort, says the author, something signaled by the amendment of China's national defense law, effective at the beginning of last year, to transfer power from civilian to military officials, which contemplates the mass mobilization of their society for war. Owners of private property, and this certainly doesn't surprise anyone, are now being told to manufacture whatever the party dictates, a move seen as building up stockpiles for the coming conflict. And many American analysts, as the author, believe that speaker for the traders, nutcase Nancy Pelosi, is provoking a crisis with her reported plans to visit the self-governing island of Taiwan, which, of course, Beijing claims is sovereign Chinese territory. But Gordon Chang claims that view is incorrect. Because Xi Jinping, he writes, needs no provocation from the speaker to lash out. And he gives any number of examples of recent provocations. And here your host has to interject that while that may be true, folks, that doesn't mean that the deep state isn't going to try to provoke them anyway. But it's the why that I think is most interesting. And why now? Concludes Chang... The Chinese Defense Ministry on July 28th, in connection with the reported trip of Pelosi to Taiwan, stated that action is the most powerful language. Chinese journalist Hu Xijin, who is often used to signal regime positions, on July 29 detailed the circumstances in which China's military is prepared to bring down the speaker's plane, meaning that ultimately there are no longer any safe options And here he claims that the most dangerous of those options, at least in the long run, is for the Speaker to, get this folks, back down. Because by doing that, she would legitimize the most belligerent elements in the Communist Chinese capital by showing everyone else that threats work. This is now more than just a test of will. And can you just hear those war drums a-banging? The next day, number three in line for the throne, at least if you believe the election ruse, really did land in Taipei didn't get shot down and didn't stay too long either. But Pelosi did demonstrate that most of the Chinese threats, at least when it came to shooting her down, were bluster. And as one of the Daily Mail headlines immediately thereafter put it, she left Taipei after enraging China by accusing it of, quote, standing in the way of Taiwan and insisting that the U.S. has an ironclad commitment. Come on, even their grip on reality is hardly ironclad to preserve democracy as Beijing's military has meanwhile surrounded the island and literally cut them off for war games. Shortly thereafter, as another Daily Mail headline notes, dozens of Chinese warplanes violated Taiwan's air defense zone not long after the speaker for the traitors flew out of the country on a U.S. Air Force jet. In total, 27 fighters, including 16 Russian-made Su-30 jets, crossed into the zone, prompting defensive measures from Taipei and an announcement that they, quote, won't shy away from a fight. Twenty-two of the 27 Chinese aircraft that breached Taiwan's Air Defense Identification Zone, or ADES, on Wednesday, were reported to have crossed the so-called Taiwan Strait median line, halfway between the two landmasses. And this after state-run English-language mouthpiece for the CCP and PRC, the Global Times, declared that Beijing now views that the media line has simply ceased to exist. Furthermore, China's Ministry of National Defense said that announcing air-naval live-fire drills around Taiwan is self-evidently apparent that they seek a cross-strait resolution now by force, rather than by peaceful means. For their part, Taiwan has issued a video within the last few hours depicting their military on a high state of alert. And the Global Times has also declared that these unprecedented military exercises are expected to include conventional missiles flying over the island of Taiwan for the first time. And there are pictures that are kind of funny, folks. Before the provocateur left the island, a masked Pelosi accepted the Taiwan government's highest civilian award. It's called, get this, the Order of the Propitious Clouds. And how's that for appropriate? There's a lot of other naval escalation going on now as well. The U.S. Ronald Reagan and the Carrier Strike Group is said to be approaching Chinese waters, while Chinese social media is reporting that both the Shandong and Fujian aircraft carriers have now left their bases. And any number of analysts are now suggesting that unless China finds another way to save face, and most Americans just don't understand how important that seems to be to the Chinese communists, We may yet soon see a second front open up in the already-in-progress World War III. The woman who would be king may very well have given the communist Chinese all the political excuse they need to invade Taiwan and allow the Biden Fuhrer to perpetrate his next planned military humiliation for the United States. If you liked Afghanistan, who knows how much you'll love what they may have already had planned next. It does now seem like the regime has given China all the excuse they would need on the political front, so the only obstacles remaining are military and economic, and the economic one may be an incentive rather than an obstacle. And as for the military, well, remember that the Chinese have already seen this so-called commander-in-chief in action. They arguably know what he's not capable of, far better than most Americans And furthermore, as we've been seeing for a while now, they're pulling a few of his puppet strings to boot. Oh, and let's not forget, they still have General Mark Milley on the inside, too. And if the Chinese are looking for an excuse for war, and the regime just gave it to them, I guess one hand washes the other. After last week's admissions by the Bureau of Line Statistics said, well, the second quarter in a row is showing negative growth, even if we play all the tricks in the book to try to lie about inflation and therefore make the negative growth look less dire than it really is... We still got that problem, so hey, let's change the meaning of words. And early in the week, that was followed up with this. The labor market has cracked, says a piece from Zero Hedge, as job openings have now suffered the third biggest plunge on record. Yeah, after months of stubbornly refusing to budge, or at least the Bureau of Lying Statistics stubbornly refusing to print it, putting the Fed in an increasingly more awkward place and forcing the central banksters to keep hiking, even as the economy obviously entered a technical recession. Moments ago, the BLS reported that June JOLTS, that stands for Job Openings and Labor Turnover, finally cracked as the number of job openings, while still elevated at over 10.6 million, plunged by near record 605,000 in June. That's the third biggest drop on record, and only the COVID crash saw bigger drops. The largest job decreases were in retail and then wholesale trade. And it wasn't just a deterioration in job openings, says the piece. The number of hires in June also slumped by 133,000 to the lowest since May 2021. And that was the fourth consecutive decline as the labor market is clearly slowing down. But wait, by Friday there was great news from the June payroll, said Zero Hedge, which smashed expectations. And yeah, now we're well and truly into bizarro world. In spite of the recession, the U.S. is adding jobs, and unemployment just can't get any better. <laughs> Unless you just keep lying about the numbers. But uh-oh, maybe good news is bad news again, because all of this will surely boost expectations for another whopping, maybe 75 basis point or three-quarter percent rate hike at the Fed September meeting. Because this is not at all, said Bloomberg, what the Fed wanted to see. The job market, if anything, is getting even hotter, not cooling, and uh-oh, you know what that means about inflation, folks. At least it gives them another excuse for it. Still and all, though, it's hard to deny that Biden and Powell have now officially pushed the economy into a recession. And before we move on from the economy, one more observation, courtesy of QTR's Fringe Finance, also via Zero Hedge, which begins by saying, I don't know how to really describe the disturbing trend over the last few months of the Biden regime, along with the so-called Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, simply lying outright to the American people about the economy. Months' worth of political spin has culminated in embarrassing recent attempts to redefine the word recession, a futile attempt to pull the wool over over an American public that's growing increasingly suspect of both Biden and Yellen's competence, to put it mildly, not only concerning the economy, but the country. By now, he says, the administration's pathetic falsehood of a narrative about the economy has been called out, ridiculed, dismantled, and generally beaten to death by anyone with even a shred of common sense. However, and this is an interesting point, there's something far more important that people aren't talking about. This administration lying about the health of the economy could wind up exacerbating any financial crisis that we have in the near future, which is arguably, folks, a lead pipe cinch. Put simply... The more you tell people everything is fine when you know darn well it isn't, the more surprised and shocked, at least the gullible are going to be, when markets start to panic. Let me just let that sit there for a second. I want to take the incompetence theme and point it in a new direction from both left coasts. First, from the likely side of the Chinese ocean invasion, the People's Republic of California, where their chief CCP mouthpiece, the evil governor, Gavin Grusom Newsom, is now, says Christine Leland, TGP, the latest Democrat to declare, uh uh-oh, I hope you're sitting down, folks, a monkeypox state of emergency. And that was followed shortly thereafter by the New York net case, bear of the big rotten apple, Eric Adams, doing the same darn thing. After their tyrannical governor, Hochul, did essentially the same thing for the whole stinking state. Yes, a monkeypox state of emergency. And notice, folks, not a one of them has the but to come right out and tell people the truth. If you don't want to get the LGBTQ pox, don't be sticking your willy up places where it wasn't designed to go. Or vice versa. If you hadn't heard, Tucker Carlson did a poll. His audience wants it renamed something more appropriate. They took a vote and schlong COVID came out the winner, which kind of makes the same point. So, by the way, does all the hysteria over what the leftist nutcases are calling the homophobic new name that he dared to suggest, telling people the obvious truth? Maybe that's why most Americans just aren't afraid of something that only attacks those who really ask for it good and hard. And how stupid is it, really, to call something homophobic when there's no fear involved, except by those who don't want to hear the truth? I guess they're veritophobic. But listen to this mind-numbing idiocy from the California tyrant. California is working urgently across all levels of government to slow the spread of monkeypox. Well, the one thing we're not going to do, of course, is tell people how not to get it by, quote, leveraging our robust testing, contact tracing, Uh uh-oh, well, we can't do it exactly the way you'd think, and community partnerships strengthened during the pandemic to ensure that those most at risk, and you know who you are, even if we're not going to tell you, are our focus for vaccines, treatment, and outreach, said the gruesome one. We'll continue to work with the FedGov, who else, to secure more vaccines, raise awareness about reducing risk, except we're not going to tell you the really, really obvious way, and to stand with the LGBTQ community fighting stigmatization, unquote, and maybe those little bumps might result in some stigmatization. And i got to say it, because you're probably not going to hear it on the criminally negligent networks, did you hear the part about there's some young kids that have now come down with it? Also, coincidentally, affiliated with that major politically correct community? And guess who's not going to get investigated for child abuse? Meanwhile, in the gay capital of the country, San Francisco, the so-called up-your-alley perversion fest it's called a leather and fetish fair, went on over the weekend despite widespread concerns about the spread of uh, schlong COVID. This has now gone beyond stupid on steroids, folks. And I got to wonder, is it just possible this time around that even the most idiotically stupid people might resist wearing a mask that isn't going to stop them from getting something that doesn't enter their body from that particular portal? And I know what you're thinking. Don't hold your breath. Ponder the irony of that when these tyrants try to roll out the next round of masking. Let's go right then next to today's Enemies from Within update, or what Zero Hedge and Tyler Durden call a startling new report out of Ammo Land News demonstrates how the U.S. Department of Commerce and Census Bureau have now asked major holster manufacturers and providers in the United States for order numbers, product descriptions, and, of course, locations where various items that once at least were not supposed to be infringed have been shipped. And note, folks, this certainly isn't the items themselves, just the accessories that most folks need to go along with them. Some holster companies, showing more backbone than most of the press, have rejected the Department of Commerce request, sick, for commodity flow surveys related to products they've sold. Chad Myers, president of JM4 Tactical, said we will never turn over any information on our customers to the government, no matter the cost to us, he said, because to do so would violate our core beliefs. We need to stand up to an overbearing government. Our customers, he said, can rest assured that their information is safe with us, unquote. Well, that is, provided they didn't put it on a public network, folks. Amolin said the Census Bureau has sent out these commodity flow surveys to, quote, random companies every year. But this seems to be an Normal amount of holster companies that have received the notice, leading some of them to wonder if Big Brother has now targeted them. And of course, it makes sense, folks, if you realize a lot of folks that want to have a sidearm are going to have to have something to carry it in. And here's yet another way to find out where they live and where to be able to go get them. This is alarming, says Amoland, Land, because the overreaching Big Brother federal government could attempt, and you know they are, don't you, to create a registry of gun owners, types, and numbers of firearms via the information collected in the anti-constitutional survey. Holster companies reached out to Arbiter Weston Martinez of Texas, a former Texas real estate commissioner under former Governor Rick Perry, to push back on this government collection of data. And he responded that clearly the Biden administration is saber rattling for the left in the wake of all the recent losses they've incurred by Supreme Court rulings. My clients and I will never back down from anyone that's trying to impugn our constitutional and God given rights like the Second Amendment. Washington gun law President William Kirk provides more color on the Biden regime's use of government force to collect data on law-abiding citizens, saying that, and this is an understatement, don't you know, this administration, sick, is the least trustworthy of any administration in this country's history regarding the lawful rights of gun owners. Don't you know it? This sounds like a related item. Bearing Arms has reported a number of firearms-related companies, think public-private partnership here, folks, that have had their accounts canceled by UPS. Not only that, but some of these companies have had packages damaged or lost in transit to customers. One of them, a distribution company called The Gun Food, reported that out of a recent 18,000 rounds of ammunition shipped via UPS, only a third, 6,000, made it to their final destination. The owner of the ammo company remains suspicious that a number of packages he shipped via UPS have been damaged or lost, he said UPS pinned the mishaps on his company for not correctly packing the shipments, prompting the owner to say they're not even making it. And I don't know what they're doing in these facilities. If they're purposefully damaging them, however, they're not making it to the customer. Now, for every batch that does ship, we actually ship everything insured. And usually, depending on the quantity or the value of the shipment, we'll ship it with some type of signature required. So it's funny when they try to say, well, you know, you put in too many claims. No, we didn't put in too many. Well, our customer never received their pack. That we'd ship. Meanwhile, author Lee Williams over at the Rider Substack, Amoland News, and the Second Amendment Foundation Investigative Journalism Project has also covered this phenomenon of firearms related companies having problems with UPS. It's hard to say, writes Zero Hedge on the subject, whether this growing trend is an approach by the Biden regime to use corporations as a weapon to cause as much havoc as possible for gun companies, or if perhaps there were UPS drivers stealing packages. Over the years, there's certainly been a number of reports of UPS drivers stealing whole shipments of guns, and they provide some links. As for those in the know, they're saying threats to the Second Amendment, imagine this, folks, have broadened under the Biden regime. From Project Veritas and via AmericanMilitaryNews.com, An internal FBI document that has now been leaked lists the Betsy Ross American flag, the famous yellow Gadsden Don't Tread on Me flag, as well as a number of symbols of the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms, not to mention associated other imagery, as symbols of what the traitors at the FBI, and I put that term in there, folks, although they've earned it, are now calling Militia Violent Extremists, or MVEs. I guess white supremacists just wasn't enough. The document's labeled unclassified slash law enforcement sensitive, and it contains the FBI internal use only disclaimer, and it states that the following symbols are used by anti-government or anti-authority violent extremists, specifically those evil MVEs, and it then lists a number of other symbols including the term boogaloo, various punisher skulls, the 2A nomenclature, meaning the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms, the Greek phrase molon labe, you may have heard it back when literature and history were still taught in schools, a phrase meaning come and take them, popularized by the Spartan king Leonidas at the Battle of Thermopylae, who challenged the Persians to come and take away all of his weapons. Oh, and let's not forget things like the Liberty Tree, referencing that famous elm tree in Boston where colonists organized in 1765 for one of the first major acts of defiance against the evil King George III and British tyranny before the American Revolution. Now, here, folks, I think maybe the author missed the real point. There's a famous quote, up until the FBI demonizes him, too, from Thomas Jefferson, where he says the tree of liberty must, from time to time, be watered with the blood of patriots and tyrants. That'll get you banned from socialist media, don't you know? Said the Federal Bureau of Instigation, quote, widespread use of symbols and quotes from American history. How dare they? Especially the Revolutionary War exists within MVE networks. And they note that historic and or contemporary military themes are common MVE symbols. I got to say it, George Orwell would be proud. How dare these people actually try to study and remember American history? especially when the evil parts are being repeated right before our very eyes. The tyrannical King George and, oh yeah, those, quote, swarms of officers that he sent hither to harass our people and eat out our substance got nothing on the FBI. They also list common phrases and references to events that might get you on one of their lists, including the death of Ashley Babbitt, who was executed, as you may recall if you're an MVE sympathizer yourself, on January 6, 2021, after the election takedown. Oh, yeah, and let's not forget Ruby Ridge and Waco. Those are also MVE references. Says American Military News, the FBI did not respond to their request for comment. That doesn't mean, however, they won't get the broken down door in the middle of the night. Here's one that I literally I'll well, almost laugh at. And I don't know where to put it otherwise, but it certainly seems to fit today. During an interview with Reuters Broadcast Live on Twitter spaces, a woman whom I will name in just a second, but she does happen to make almost four hundred and thirty grand a year, and scrambled out of a whole bunch of investments wonder if she got tipped off just before the Federal Reserve finalized strict new limits on policymakers portfolios, has dropped, as Zero Hedge puts it, a sidewalk splattering Nancy Pelosi-style turd from her ivory tower on the average struggling American. Here's the quote. I don't feel the pain of inflation anymore. I see prices rising, but I have enough. I sometimes balk at the price of things, but I don't find myself in a space where I have to make (laughs) trade-offs, you peons, might, because I have enough, and many Americans have enough. Unquote. "and yes this was spoken by the head of the San Francisco Fed, President Mary Daly. Again, yeah, she makes over 420k a year, not counting whatever else she can glean on the side. Evidently, she thinks she gets to decide whether you have enough. And as lots of observers are now noting, the audacity of the president of of all things, the San Francisco Federal Reserve to say things like this." Why, well, if she just turned transgender or molested a few kids, folks, I bet she could have a cabinet post. And we'll be right back after the bottom of the hour break. The you better wake up before it's too late. Get ready. the devil's power Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? When I think back on all the crap I learned in high school It's a wonder Welcome back now to the second segment for this evening. I am your host, Mark Hall. And as we continue our look back at the week, more or less chronologically, by Thursday, something was becoming pretty clear to me. I looked at all the news that's out there and honestly didn't find a single story that was even remotely surprising. Now, that's not to say that there wasn't news or stories that are worth reporting. It's just that none of them were even remotely eyebrow-raising when it came to things that, oh yeah, we've heard before or we fully expected were going to happen. Some of the most important, arguably aren't getting any waste stream coverage. We'll come back to a couple of those in a few minutes. Most of the stories that I saw from the major waste stream sources were either celebrity smokescreens or outright propaganda. And it was so bad I even went to the New York Times front page. And that was a mistake because it was just simply downright disgusting. Do people really read that crap and actually believe it? Anyway, let's start with at least one or two of the stories that should be cause for concern, but hey, we've heard them before. I guess you could say, like during the Clinton regime, people have been inoculated against any actual concern for little trivialities like World War III. Here's a Daily Mail headline. Chinese missiles have landed in Japan's waters after warnings that a miscalculation during their Taiwan military drill could in fact spark a war. And an outraged Tokyo has lodged a complaint over Beijing's live fire maneuvers after five missiles fired towards Taiwan have overshot the island, as intended, and landed in Japanese waters, in what's called Japan's exclusive economic zone, said their minister of defense. I guess you could say baby steps, folks. Pushing the envelope a little bit more this time, now that they've been given the perfect excuse by the nutcase puppets in Washington. China has fired ballistic missiles at its neighbor before, says the Daily Mail coverage, but this is the first time they've actually landed in the Japanese zone. Beijing also scrambled fighter jets, it says, and sent some of its most up-to-date warships to surround the island in what state media confirmed is a rehearsal for an invasion. The drills are due to last until at least Sunday and are said to include long-range bombers and hypersonic missiles, as well as a couple of nearby Chinese aircraft carriers. The still-open question, of course, is, well, what comes next? One thing's for sure, the entire world knows that the senile basket case vegetating the Oval Office is incapable of doing anything regardless of what happens next. you got to say it, at least Nero could play the fiddle. Here's a still-developing story that's interesting, certainly disgusting, and no, not the least bit surprising. Coming out of the primary season, where several more states held primary elections on Tuesday, most of the results are out, and in general, Trump-endorsed candidates seem to have won big time. Which clearly upsets both the rhinos and the waste stream. Here's a piece from ABC News headline, Trump's candidates celebrate after, in this case, the Arizona primary and some wins there. But some Republicans, they say, are worried, and they'll never use the term rhino openly. The ABC piece, perhaps not surprisingly, is focused on the fact that Carrie Lake, the closest thing to a constitutional conservative in the GOP gubernatorial race, went ahead in the polls and then claimed victory on Wednesday. As other state candidates, backed by the former president, also celebrated wins down the ballot, Lake has been outspoken about obvious evidence of rigging, particularly in Arizona, the 2020 election. She's warned about it here, and in fact, ABC quotes her as saying, We outvoted the fraud. The MAGA movement voted like their lives depended on it. And then asked whether she should be declaring victory before the race has been officially called. We'll get back to that in just a second. And this is an election they note that she's already suggested needs to be investigated. A smiling lake said her team was projecting a widely to come, so she was confident in calling the race for herself. Frankly, she said, I'm going to be having dinner with my husband tonight, Wednesday night. I don't want anybody to call me and ask me for a comment. So we're doing this a bit early, because I actually want to take one night off. And she said, I haven't had a night off for a long time. Still, though, it says, Lake also continued to allege irregularities in the primary process, citing the shortage of paper ballots in Pinal County, where officials claimed there was, quote, an unprecedented demand for in-person ballots in certain precincts. By the way, even as the week rolled to a close and at least a few of the major news outlets had declared Kerry Lake to be the winner, Pinal County still had tens of thousands of what a spokesman called uncounted ballots remaining. We've had major issues, said Carrie Lake, and I guess we've just seen what she means. We have a lot of evidence of irregularities and problems, and we're going to address those. And she added that in the run-up to the general election come November, she'll continue talking about the widely disproven claim, that's ABC's comment, folks, it's not the truth, that the 2020 election was stolen from President Trump. Well, so far, no surprises, folks, so where's the thing we could have seen coming? Let's turn to the gateway pundit for that aspect of it, because you're probably not going to hear it on the three-letter so-called news agencies. Exclusive, they say, this is from Joe Hoft, reporting issues have been identified in the middle of the night. Hey, have we ever, ever heard that before? And no, you won't hear it from ABC. In GOP governor's race in Arizona, another election reporting issue, they say, this time in the results of the Arizona GOP governor's race. After finding herself behind, and some of us would suggest that the sampling type polls prior to the election were just setting people up for what the electronically manipulated polls, supposedly during the real election, would show later. Despite being way ahead in polling leading up to the election, GOP governor candidate Carrie Lake finally burst into the lead after midnight, and you can... Probably guess if you've been paying attention what happened right after that. In the middle of the night, yeah, it happened again. At 2:40 a.m. Central Time, NBC News was reporting that Rhino candidate Karen Robson was in the lead with 46.4% of the vote, just above Kerry Lake's 43.5%. That would be 12:40 a.m. Phoenix time. But then, in the very next minute, at 12.42 a.m. Arizona time, the vote changed, and Kerry Lake jumped into the lead with 45.2% of the vote to Robson's 45.1% of the vote. And note then, at least at the time, NBC News reported that 99% of the expected votes had been in and counted. Percentage of total votes didn't change, but the overall votes did. Another oddity, says TGP, is that the county votes didn't change at this time. They agreed with the totals from moments earlier. So that's a bit fishy. Later on Wednesday, just shy of 5 p.m. Eastern Time, the results still weren't counted. And, says the TGP update, the election results in Arizona haven't been updated since at least 7 a.m. Wednesday morning. Carrie Lake had come roaring back in her race on Tuesday from a 10-point deficit and, at that point, led the Republican primary for governor by about 12,000 votes. Meanwhile, Trump-endorsed candidate Blake Masters won his race for the GOP primary for the U.S. Senate in Arizona by 62,000 votes. And notes the piece, in France they can count 30 million paper ballots and release the results by 8 p.m. that same night, whereas the Secretary of State in Arizona, the infamous Katie Hobbs, can't count 3 million votes by electronic machine in 36 hours. Or maybe, folks, the problem is they can count them, they just didn't like the answer. Anyway, she was doing TV hits this morning, says Hoft, as the election results stalled out for a number of hours, which makes you want to ask the question, hey, what kind of fraud is she cooking up this time around? Twelve hours later, basically nothing had changed, and Maricopa County said, well, maybe they'll release their vote counts by 7 p.m. Wednesday night. Well, by 8.35 a.m. Thursday morning, not so much. Jim Hobbs' headline this time around says voters in Maricopa County now reporting their votes were thrown out and didn't count. Something stinks, he writes, bad. And as they reported earlier, Maricopa County, and haven't we seen this before, finally released another ballot count shortly after 7 p.m. Wednesday evening, promising more results Thursday, ready, after 7 p.m., This is outrageous, he writes. The polls closed Tuesday at 7 p.m., and they're still counting? We call bullshit. They were late. TGP has already reported they had not updated the results on their webpage after claiming they would. And here we are into Thursday, still at least allegedly counting. So you do have to ask the question, just what the hell is going on? Election Day has already revealed, not for the first time, mind you, major concerns and possible fraud in a system that already looked like it was rigged to high heaven. They stopped the counting, notes the story, immediately after Trump endorsed Kerry Lake pulled ahead from a 10-point deficit and at least appeared to be still climbing. And now Republican voters are tweeting out that maybe, just maybe, and they've got the evidence, their vote has been nullified and erased. John Rhodes was one of those who tweeted, anyone else in Maricopa County having this issue? The claim is that his signature for early ballot has been verified, but as you can see, my vote didn't count. It was dropped on Election Day at the voting location. And he encourages others to check your ballot and gives the voting tracking website. He was not alone. Another has claimed his vote, too, according to the website, didn't count and was erased. Isn't it funny, folks? The same people that say every ballot should count, well, every ballot should count as long as we want it to, are the ones who've been telling you, my body, my choice, except for it turns out it's not your choice because they can grope it and poke it and disarm it and starve it. Now, while we certainly saw this one coming, by Friday, at least a couple of major news outlets, including AP, NBC News, and the Arizona Republic, had called the election for Carrie Lake. So there still is, obviously, something to be said for a whole lot of bright light national scrutiny. Not to mention whistleblowing. And it doesn't hurt that she won every single county in Arizona to boot. Still, your increasingly cynical host can't help but caution, don't even think that this is over yet especially when NBC News' headline has to admit that the election denier actually won. From there, let's turn to at least a couple of potentially promising developments in the way of fighting back against the flood of evil. This one's being reported by the Daily Mail in addition to the Gateway Pundit and hopefully others. Ron DeSantis, Florida governor, has suspended the Soros-funded, and they actually put that in quotes in the Daily Mail headline. Democrat Florida prosecutor Andrew Warren, For, as the governor put it, ignoring the law and refusing to prosecute cases violating their 15-week abortion ban and sex changes foisted on children. Said the governor, the state attorney for this judicial circuit, Andrew Warren, has publicly put himself above the law, he said, during a press conference on the Soros prosecutor's home turf. In June 2021, he signed a letter saying he would not enforce any prohibitions on sex change operations for minor. He also signed a letter saying he wouldn't enforce any laws relating to the protection of the right to life in the state of Florida, knowing that Florida was among the states to limit abortion access amid the fallout over Roe v. Wade having been overturned. Evidently referring to the flood of Soros lawlessness, and the Daily Mail actually does include this tidbit that Warren beat a Republican incumbent for this office in 2016 in a campaign that the New York Times reported was in fact funded in part by billionaire fascist George Soros. They didn't put the word fascist in there, but you know it should be. The governor said, quote, we're not going to allow this pathogen that's been around the country of ignoring the law, and we're not going to let that get a foothold here in the state of Florida. And he's ordered a statewide review of prosecutors to, quote, make sure that we're not going down the road of San Francisco. And he found that among those, Warren stood out alone. He was the only one, said the governor, making those types of declarations, the only one signing his name to letters that basically said, to hell with the people of Florida, I'm going to do what I want, unquote. And perhaps no surprise, the Gateway PUD discovery includes a lot more detail on what DeSantis actually said. But to their credit, the Daily Mail does include the full video of the announcement, like this quote, We've seen across this country over the last few years individual prosecutors take it upon themselves to determine which laws they like and will enforce and which laws they don't like and won't enforce. The result of this in cities like Los Angeles and San Francisco has been catastrophic. You can go in a store in San Francisco and steal a certain amount of merchandise, and by definition, You would not be prosecuted. By Friday, there was an update from Florida after DeSantis sent state police to physically remove the scumbag Warren from his office with, quote, access only to retrieve his personal belongings and to ensure that he doesn't take anything else from the office of the state attorney. And I really like this quote. DeSantis said, when you flagrantly violate your oath of office, when you make yourself above the law, you violated your duty and you've neglected your duty and you're displaying a lack of competence to be able to perform those duties. Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky is again at the forefront of efforts to actually hold some of the most evil people on planet Earth, like Tony Fauci, to account. As the Washington Examiner reported, on August 3rd, Senator Paul, ranking member of the Subcommittee on Emerging Threats and Spending Oversight, is leading the first congressional hearing on gain-of-function research, an important matter that many so-called Democrats have largely ignored, given the significance of the COVID-19 pandemic and, of course, the desire of so many of their major puppet masters to, uh, yeah, I'll say it, gain-of-function a whole hell of a lot of people right off planet Earth. The press release for the committee stated that gain-of-function research has historically been supported by tax dollars, both domestically and internationally. As such, this hearing lies at the intersection of the subcommittee's two primary jurisdictional responsibilities, monitoring emerging threats and conducting oversight of federal spending. And the goal of the hearings was to have medical and scientific professionals to, quote, inform and educate lawmakers and the public on the myriad issues involving the risky virus enhancing research that is funded by taxpayer money, unquote. And appearing on Fox News Wednesday evening to discuss that first-ever Senate hearing on gain-of-function research, Senator Paul revealed that there actually is a committee that's supposed to oversee such experimentation with potentially lethal viruses, but that it is above the oversight of Congress. And here's another one of those, duh, gee, tell-me-something-I-didn't-know statements. Paul noted that according to scientists who testified on Capitol Hill Wednesday, the committee that's supposed to review these viruses is secret. We don't know the names, we don't know that they ever meet, and we don't have any record of their meetings, said the senator, adding, it's top secret. Congress is not allowed to know, so whether the committee actually exists, we're uncertain. We do know, he continued, they've met three times, and there are thousands of -of gain-of-function research proposals. Yet they've only met three times. They've only reviewed three projects, said Senator Paul. Three scientists testified during the hearing, including Dr. Richard Ebright, lab director of the Waxman Institute of Microbiology at Rutgers, Kevin Esvelt, assistant professor of media arts and scientists at MIT's Media Lab, and Dr. Stephen Quay, CEO of Atasa Therapeutics Incorporated. And, said Dr. Paul, the three scientists agreed this was dangerous research. Two of the three absolutely said it was gain of function. The third said it was dangerous research and should have gone before a committee. Then he added that when uh, you-know-who and the only doctor that this guy deserves on his title, folks, should be associated with the name Mengele. When Fauci said, quote, oh, we've reviewed this and the experts have looked at this and said it's not gain-of-function, even that wasn't true, said Senator Paul. There was a committee formed after 2017 to look at this dangerous research. They didn't look at this research at all because they never reviewed it. So no one reviewed this to say it wasn't gain-of-function research. They didn't review it, period. So, he said, we've learned a lot of things, but I think we've reconfirmed that Dr. Fauci is not being honest with us, unquote. And how's that, folks, for a senatorial understatement? Yeah, he said, the NIH-funded gain-of-function research. Yes, it was dangerous. And yes, nobody looked over this. And yes, oh yeah, a million people died. There still seems to be a significant lack of curiosity, said Senator Paul, on the part of the Democrats. Now, there's at least one very interesting additional set of comments that came out of this hearing. Dr. Quay outlined, the idea of the COVID bioweapon originating in a Wuhan wet market is highly unlikely, saying that there's, quote, no dispositive evidence that the pandemic began there, adding, all evidence is consistent with a laboratory-acquired infection. Well, that was pretty much a given. But he added this, the virus has three genomic regions that have the signature of synthetic biology, that is, gain-of-function research. In his opening statement, he said one region has features of the two types of forbidden gain of function research that are associated with bioweapons development, asymptomatic transmission and immune system evasion, unquote, and see if that doesn't help to at least clarify things that arguably have been obvious for quite a while now. Liberal but honest constitutional law professor Jonathan Turley is at it again. In his latest column for Fox News, he wrote about the Hunter Biden investigation sick and how it presents a challenge for many in Washington. Due to the continued work of a small number of media outlets like the New York Post, it's no longer possible, he said, to bury the story or to continue the false claim that it is Russia, Russia, Russian disinformation. The hope, he said, then, now appears to be a controlled demolition, where Hunter, but not his senile daddy, the big guy, is indicted on limited grounds, without causing collateral damage to the political and media establishment. Scandal implosion, he calls it, and said it's as much an art as it is a science, and it could be the most brilliant achievement in this ongoing scandal. For news junkies, he begins, there's been a remarkable and sudden shift in the media in the coverage of the Hunter Biden scandal. The shift is the very fact that there is suddenly coverage of Hunter Biden at all. From CNN to NPR, reporters are now acknowledging that the infamous laptop is not what they claimed for so long, Russia, Russia, Russian disinformation, as he said, was widely claimed before the 2020 election. So after years of burying the story, the media is now attempting an even more precarious exercise. Yes, it's called control demolition, the implosion of a scandal to limit any blast. Effect on nearby structures or individuals. Just like those buildings drop between other structures, it takes precision and most importantly, cooperation to pull it off. Specifically, this controlled demolition will require the perfect timing of the media, democratic politicians, and most importantly, the Department of (laughs) Misnomer Galore. Justice, or the Just Us Department, and that has never rung more true, folks. This was the same alliance, he noted, that successfully killed the story before the election, despite evidence of a multi-million dollar influence peddling scheme by the Biden crime family. The media eagerly spread the false claim of 51 so-called intelligence experts who declared that the laptop was likely Russian disinformation. Twitter and other socialist media companies, he didn't spell that one right, imposed a news blackout before the election. Recently, though, GOP senators have accused the Department of Justice of effectively spiking the investigation, displaying the same kind of bias documented in the Russia-Russia-Russia collusion investigation. And yes, for his part, Attorney General, and I'll put this word in here, the evil Merrick Garland, has refused to appoint a special counsel despite the overwhelming obvious need for such an appointment. Even former Attorney General, himself no paragon of virtue, Bill Barr, recently said that new evidence makes such an appointment essential. Professor Turley noted he's written before about the marvel of watching the Biden family and their scandals vanish before the 2020 election. It was like Houdini making a 10,000-pound elephant. Jenny disappeared during his act. But now the problem is the entire public can see the elephant in the room, which is why the media is now recalibrating, he said. It was most evident in the recent statement of the New York Times and columnist Thomas Friedman that, quote, I know the New York Times felt it didn't pursue originally as much as it wanted to, and then it followed up, he said, as I recall. But the trouble is... Friedman doesn't explain what overrode that journalistic interest in the story or why the follow-up came a full year after the election of the senile cretin Joe Biden. And yeah, I put those words in there too. Maybe the reason is obvious. It seems that the man masquerading as president is no longer seen as a political asset and most Democrats are refusing to publicly support him in a re-election bid if he's able to even drool at that point. And the problem is compounded by the fact that embarrassing evidence mounts day by day. Things like new disclosures by Hunter referencing his big daddy and the fact that he has access to him. Some emails show Hunter using business trips with daddy to arrange meetings with business associates. And that cringeworthy email, says Professor Turley, only adds to the embarrassment not only of Hunter Biden, but the media trying to control the damage from the scandal. Yet they could ensure that none of that would be the focus of the coverage if the case can be ended on narrow criminal charges and basically made it disappear. The most important thing, says Jonathan Turley, is to control the blast. And by refusing to appoint a special counsel, Merrick Garland has effectively blocked the risk of a report on the extensive influence peddling, including repeated references to Biden as the big guy discussed in emails and the potential recipient of the 10 percent cut on a deal with that Chinese energy firm as well as other bennies. But that's not what we're in need. It's how to do it. These things must be done delicately, or you hurt the staff. How to do it? Well... Maybe the case can be collapsed by triggering a smaller explosion. Rather than pursue wider conspiracies connected to the influence peddling itself, Hunter can be indicted on a few tax or lobbying counts. That would allow for a plea bargain that would effectively allow the media to focus narrowly on those counts alone, and not on the broader and far more pervasive influence peddling by the Biden crime family. Of course, controlled demolitions can at times take an unexpected turn. The greatest danger seems to be that either House of Congress, especially if they can't Contain the midterms, could flip to GOP control, which would open up the entire matter to congressional investigation. Yet, if they've been able to get a plea in place that would already close the case, the legal blowback could be confined. Yep, the key to political controlled demolitions is to implode the building. That is, make it collapse down into its own footprint, which is now Hunter Biden. Captain, we need to have a controlled implosion of the warp drive. And the idea is to confine the implosion to him while leaving the media and the establishment, which basically is redundant anyway, all untouched. Finally, I would have left this one out, but actually we do have time today. So let's talk about stupidity that seems to know no bounds. To infinity and beyond! Now, the marionette in chief may be senile, but Corinne Jean-Pierre, the press secretary who makes incompetence look like an art form, has truly even outdone herself this time. And I guess all I can say is take a listen. Oh, yeah, and since it may not be obvious what the heck she's talking about, it is, in fact, your body, my choice, or the Satan-given right to kill babies in the womb. They do it later, obviously, with impunity. From day one, when uh, when the Supreme Court made this extreme decision uh, to take away a, a constitutional right, uh, it was an unconstitutional, unconstitutional action by them, a right that was around for almost 50 years, a right that women had to make a decision on their bodies and how they want to start their families. That's a stupid way to say it. Yeah, I know. If they take enough of the Biden booster shots, hey, they worked real well for him, obviously, they probably won't ever have to worry about starting a family. Or, for that matter, even whether or not to get a federal travel subsidy to kill babies in the womb. But you do have to admit, it really is funny to hear these people talk about something being unconstitutional. Obviously, it's not like what's written in genuine print matters in the least. But at least more and more people are maybe waking up to the founder's solution. It's time to withdraw consent.